the current projections are that we, in the United States at least, we won't return to the same employment level that we had up until January 2020 for another two to three years at the most uh, optimistic view. Thank you, Gary, for being part of Change I Am Possible, which is India's first feature tech podcast. Sincerely appreciate and honor to have you on the show. So I'm going to give a brief introduction to my listeners who don't know about you. So Mr. Gary Bowles is an internationally recognized expert on the future of work and the future of learning. His focus is on the strategies for helping individuals, organizations, communities, and countries to thrive in the transition uh, to a digital work economy. He's a partner at Sharit LLC, a consulting agency, and has served as a strategic consultant and visiting lecturer for clients such as Google, Intel, the New Zealand government, and the United Nations. He is a co-founder at eParachute.com. He's also co-founded a variety of conferences and strategic initiatives, including Closing the Gap, a conference in Palm Beach focused on strategies for an inclusive economy. And I guess we should talk about that inclusive economy because the world seems to be super divided. Degree.org, a conference focused on the future of higher education, and he's currently chair for the future of work for Singularity University. Very sincerely appreciate and to have you on the show. So COVID, 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 right? I mean, the world is impacted. We are at a, a complete grinding halt. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The unemployment is growing. We've got uh, close to 120 million people who are unemployment uh, uh, in India, uh, close to around uh, 50 million in America. So with all this happening and unemployment at such a high, how do you see this impacting the job industry? So first off, um, I, I call this uh, period the Great Reset. Um, I wrote an article back in March uh, that was published in April um, where I, I sort of broke it down into what I think of as um, sort of three phases. The reason I call it the Great Reset is because there's such significant change happening in so many different aspects of our lives, you know, and we suddenly shut down our economies and our societies for some period of time. There's inevitable effects. And, uh, and so it seemed pretty predictable to me that it was going to go through three phases, this sort of survive phase at the beginning where um, we're just all trying to figure out how we keep going. There's going to be a revive phase, which I think you're seeing in parts of India, which is definitely, uh, there's rules that are changing, but basically you're starting to open up more businesses. And then hopefully in the future, there will be a thrive phase. That is, there'll be a period where we'll, you know, we'll all be able to, to build a better now. There's this amount of uncertainty, whether it's sort of phase one where you're still falling off the cliff economically or phase two where we're still trying to figure out what the new rules are. The work, the impact on work markets is undeniable. And so what you find is that um, there's a, think of it as a spectrum of work from work that must be done on site. So that's at one end. And then at the other end, it's work that can be done from remote. You know, it's very digital and and so and there's a whole bunch of jobs in between. And it turns out that the majority of jobs, the work that needs to be done on site, you know, things we all know from movies to restaurants, those are all the most deeply impacted. Those are the businesses that are most impacted. Those are the workers that are most impacted. Um, and so, and, and those who could not do their work from remote, those are the people that often lost their jobs. And the businesses that needed to be done on site. Those are some of the businesses that were most heavily impacted. And so that's why the you know, travel and hospitality industry is so hit. And so 
what we're seeing is in countries where there's a deep commitment to ensuring that people stay employed, uh, and that's the Nordic countries, Germany, uh, New Zealand, uh, you know, the, those are the countries that, that actually were able to essentially bounce back the fastest uh, from an employment standpoint. That is, they, they ensured that people kept their jobs. And the, and the countries that didn't are the ones that have some of the biggest challenges. So in the United States, we have, depending upon whose numbers you listen to, anywhere from 25 to 40 million unemployed. And, uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's a bigger number than that in all likelihood. Uh, and we didn't have rules already set up to try to keep people employed. We just sort of, in a you know, panic mode, we came up with, you know, some new laws to quickly try to give people money, try to keep some people employed, but we still got a whole bunch of people out of work. So, um, so and what happened is a lot of the, ways that we thought about how work was going to change in you know, in January 2020 we were talking about robots and software having a big impact on jobs and then and then along came a virus so so a lot of the things we were saying we had many of us had been saying needed to change that companies needed to be more virtual they needed to let people work from remote more often uh, there needed to be more collaboration and digital tools all of those things suddenly became the most important, like they were critical. We had to do those things overnight. Right, right. Yeah, so, so you rightfully pointed out there's this this natural disasters kind of like accelerated uh, everything which, which which is digital. And uh, yes, I mean, you, you also pointed out the Nordic countries are doing the, uh, at least taking the right steps. And I mean, India, obviously, I don't think they, 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 they are taking the right steps. I guess that's the reason 120 million people are, are jobless at this point in time. So uh, you pointed out, I mean, it really depends upon those countries. I mean, what you do will bring back normal soon but how long do you think it would take to get to pre-pandemic unemployment uh, employment level and what are the steps you think that we should do to get uh, uh, employment back to the pre-pandemic level so uh, first off you know experience says uh, job markets work markets always change in big resets like this. Um, so uh, the market job market in India had really dramatically different dynamics during the Great Recession than the U.S. market did. Uh, the Indian, uh, the, the uh, job market in India, you've got a lot more internally migrant workers than we do in the United States. Um, and so, so you think of that as there's demand and there's supply. And so the demand is, oh, there's work over here in this city. So you've got more migrant workers that will go to those places. And you also have a number of uh, places um, like um, uh, Hyderabad sort of becoming more hubs for certain kinds of work, like digital work. And so those are, that's a little different than um, uh, the job market in the U.S., which is not as fluid. That is, we don't adapt as quickly. We don't, um, you know, we, we don't suddenly say, ah, we, there's a new industry over here. Let's put a whole bunch of energy and we'll make that industry grow really, really fast. We, you know, we did that with Silicon Valley, but that started 40, 50 years ago. So, um, uh, so, what's, so some of the things that are, are similar are some of the things that you can – so to answer your question about how long, the current projections 
are that we, in the United States at least, we won't return to the same employment level that we had up until January 2020 for another two to three years at the most, at the most um, uh, optimistic view. And the major reason for that is that um, you've got beha- human behavior that was dependent upon, uh, again, a lot of work that was done and business that was done in person. And it's not clear how quickly we will go back to offices. It's not clear how quickly we'll get back on planes. And because so many, especially rural areas, uh, but also many cities, are heavily dependent upon tourism, business travel, uh, hospitality, all of those businesses are going to be severely impacted until human behavior changes. And it's not clear right now that even with a relatively widely available vaccine, that we're going to see a lot of that behavior return. And a lot of that is because the, um, the complexity of where you do work, of where you travel to, of where you vacation to, and where you're coming from, and, and what the impact of the virus is there, where you're going to, and what the rules are there. And then, oh, suddenly the rules changed. You know, you've, if you were going to be flying to um, Chennai, and, and suddenly the rules, oh, you know, if you come here, you have to, to, to sequester for two, two weeks. Those constantly changing rules are going to keep human behavior sort of dialed back. And so, so it's going to take a much longer for that, for employment to return, uh, depending upon the country again. You know, in the Nordics and Germany, uh, New Zealand, you know, the, the countries that have a lot of this under control, the, 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 um, it'll, be, it'll be very different. The um, employment levels will return much faster. Wow, wow. You, 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 you painted a scary picture, but, but uh, yeah, so I, I mean, but I, I think that seems to be the fact, I mean, where the, the way we, we are heading. How do you think this is going to impact our society, you know, where two or three years people are going to be jobless, it, it, things are going to get more and more competitive, and, and the inclusiveness, there, the world is largely becoming more and more unequal. Uh, 1% of the global population owns 90% of the entire wealth. The cracks in a society is is coming to the fore. How do you think this is going to impact the world? So uh, everything you're saying is true. So, um, and I I often, when when people ask me a lot about the future of work, let's say there's sort of four domains. There's issues that relate to each of us as individuals, uh, issues that relate to uh, org- organizations, um, our communities, and then our countries, like what are the big economic and macro issues. So at the big economic and macro issues, what we have is a, in, in many um, <clears throat> Western and also in, in a number of, of Eastern countries as well, we have a peculiar form of capitalism that has a, a set of different characteristics that are common. And one of the common characteristics is that we often reward capital over labor. That is, you can make a lot more money with money and you make less money with working hard. <laughs> and so as long as those dynamics, that which is essentially a power dynamic, it's a set of decisions, as long as those dynamics stay that way, then what ends up happening is you have a greater and greater gap between haves and have-nots. It's just a guarantee. If, if, I, if, if you already have money and you can make a lot more money and you don't have money and you work really, really hard, you still can't normally catch up 
to the person who started with money. It just it just doesn't happen. And so uh, at, any, at any kind of scale, there's always stories. Um, uh, and here in the United States, we call them Horatio Alger from a, an old uh, uh, an author's uh, series of stories on, on uh, successful immigrants. But despite those stories at a macro level, no, it's exactly what you're talking about. And so when we, when we say uh, phase three of the Great Reset in the future will be our ability to thrive uh, if we build better, <laughs> that's one of the issues is we have to redesign the ways that our economies and our societies work. And I, I need to point out, these are not laws of nature. These are laws of people. These are laws of humans. Um, you know, we, with, with global climate change, we took a perfectly nice planet and we broke it. So this is why we can't have nice things. There are rules how ecosystems work. And break those rules, it's really, really hard to put them back together. E- economics uh, and societies are rules of people. And we can make different rules. We can make different decisions. And so you're right. Everything that happens, especially in resets like this, like the, the Great Recession, uh, in the, it, the, the, again, the economic dynamics are a little bit different in India because you've, you've actually get, you know, because you've got, had a growth economy. But in the United States, we, we, we've had two things happen. One is uh, the net, all the net new jobs that were created uh, were uh, the, the vast majority of them were uh, non-standard. They were they were contractor. They were temporary. There and so so they're very precarious. And that means that in a in a you know in a, in a great reset like this, suddenly those are the jobs that went away first. Um, and then the second is that we tended to pay people less. That is, we you know you could get away with paying people less uh, or requiring a college degree when you didn't require one before. So again, just more there's faster gap between haves and have-nots. So we need to make different decisions. We need to hire people and pay them better. We need to have minimum wage. We need to have uh, rules for how we try to retain people in their jobs. We need to have a focus and a commitment to good jobs, not just any work, but work that is meaningful and pays people well and, and, and a commitment to helping humans to be able to achieve their potential. Right. right. So do you see technology or industry 4.0 somehow building a level playing field uh, and uh, bridging the gap between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. So uh, I, I think of myself as, as uh, I don't know if I'm, I, think, I guess I'm a cautious optimist. So, <laughs> so I, believe, I believe that we can create a positive future. I don't think that we often do that as much as we need to. So, so the answer is no. That by themselves, a lot of these disruptive technologies uh, do not create equality. They they uh, increase inequality, and I'll tell you why. Um, because what ends up happening is, as work becomes atomized, that is, it gets sort of pulled apart. Um, you used to have a lot of jobs in some economies, and now you've got a lot more gig work and temporary work and part time work. And as that happens, what ends up uh, allowing people with the technology, you can automate a lot more of the things that humans used to do. Now, it does create new opportunity, and that's marvelous. But right now, an awful lot of the dynamics in our economies are to essentially reward, that is to give more money to the people that are automating uh, human jobs away, and not as much 
to the people that are creating new opportunity, that is, are helping humans to be able to do tomorrow's work. And so we can fix that. That's another thing we can fix is we can have venture capital and we can have uh, innovation, innovative companies and we get a lot of people focused on how humans can continually do the work of tomorrow. Now, there's always new opportunity that's created, but the people who can take advantage of that are typically people that are already educated or have a lot of what we call human agency. That is, they can you know, see an opportunity and go take it or create one. Um, and then the people that have been doing the older work, that's actually harder for them. If you've been working in a mine, if you've been working for a um, uh, legacy company, if, uh, if you've had training in work that has gone away, that's often harder for that person to go and take advantage of, you know, the new work, whereas it's younger people and people that have college degrees and so on. They're often the ones that can take advantage of the work more readily. And so, so again, we can change that. We just need to design for it. And we need to, we need to put a lot of the energy we have been putting into automating human tasks and instead put it into augmenting humans, helping humans to be able to learn faster, helping humans to be able to solve problems better, to be able to collaborate with each other. We, we're doing all those things now. We just need to do them a lot harder. Right, right. Yeah, because I, I think if, if you see right now, the, the global tech companies, some of the biggest companies, obviously, are, are, are we trying to build the best technology? You know, uh, there is all these quantum computing and artificial intelligence and whatnot. But yeah, maybe I think there is some kind of disconnect somewhere where the importance of a human being is disregarded in, in, in the picture. So how do you view Industry 4.0 impacting the job economy? So the good news is that there's always new opportunity that's created. It can be created very, very quickly, much more quickly than in the past. We can learn about that opportunity much faster we can potentially get educated in doing the work, in developing the skills and solving those problems. Uh, and we can increasingly, especially as we found during the, the Great Reset, we can increasingly do that from a distance. So, um, so a lot of the you know, migrant work or relocated work, we might be able to do more and more of that without having to go on site. So those are all tremendous opportunities that those disruptive technologies are creating. What's important is, is a couple of things. The first is that uh, we have to have a commitment when we hire people. You've got to have a commitment to hiring not just the usual suspects. That is not just the same kind of people that look like you and think like you and have you know, the same amount of schooling as you. Uh, to be able to ensure that we have a more diverse and inclusive future, we have to be deeply committed to diverse and inclusive hiring. And that means not just hiring people typically like you. Second is we have to have a commitment to compensating them well. What happens in a lot of the work markets, everything from Uber to uh, TaskRabbit, and I mean, there's, there's, in India, there's a number of equivalents. What happens in those work markets is that there's usually a very strong downward push on the money that people make. That is, if you would take $10 for doing a task and somebody else would take $9, well, then they're going to get them. Oh, and then somebody else would take eight and somebody else would take seven. And so what ends up happening in these markets is there's a downward pressure on income. And so that's something we need to also make sure we're tracking on because otherwise, again, as you pointed out, what happens, especially in these great resets is that the disadvantaged get more disadvantaged 
and and inclusion sort of evaporates. That is, we find that the people that already had the least access to work, they have even less access to work unless we deliberately redesign the system to be including them. Right, right. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I, 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 I'm a little worried with the way things are going because obviously we impacted by COVID and I feel Industry 4.0 is going to be a, like a double whammy where the automation is going to create for further job loss. So for the, 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 the listeners who are job seekers, what would you advise them? What would be the, what should they do during these times to make themselves, you know, ready for the job market or the future? Several things. So, um, so the first is uh, the, um, what we, we know is that uh, every, every single human being on the planet has a huge amount of untapped potential. That is every one of your listeners, all of you, each of you, is a unique human being with a unique mix of skills, experiences, and opportunities. And so what happens though is we don't often know what those capabilities are. We don't know our own capacity. And so the first thing that we say is uh, know know yourself. Uh, Do what you need to do to take online quizzes, to do self-inventory, to understand your own skills. The second is, and this can be hard, especially if you're an older worker and you were in the same field for a long period of time. The second is that you have to think of yourself as a lifelong learner. That is, you must continually think of what it is that is your, uh, as we say in the Northern Hemisphere, your North Star, or in the Southern Hemisphere, your Southern Cross. What is the guiding principle? Where do you want to go in your life and your career? What are the things that fascinate you? What are the problems you most want to solve? Third, you need to be aware of what opportunities there are and and either find or create meaningful, well-paid work. And what that means is increasingly in this world, it means a network. It means knowing people. It means connecting to people. And the good news is that we're, you know, these exponential technologies, these uh, things like social media, they actually allow us to connect with people we would otherwise never have, have met. And so... So the third is you, you, the new asset for many people is a network. And the fourth is that it's important to always be, uh, to have agency. That is to feel that you are continuing action, able to create that, that next work. If you just sort of sit in your current job and you're not thinking about your next step or you are unemployed and you're not spending a huge amount of your, your waking hours trying to basically build your own luck, <laughs> talking to people, trying to find new opportunities, uh, learning things online. If you're not doing those things, then it's going to be harder because the pace of change and the spread of change, that is the speed with which things are going to change and the distance between the work. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit more of a big step if you were working in a coal mine and now there's an opportunity to repair a wind turbine um, in a, um, you know, first or, or in a, a, a solar panel in a solar farm. Uh, it's a bigger step in many cases than it was in the past to go do that new work. So, so I give so I want you first, I want everybody to feel like you, you are unique. You have tremendously tremendous capacity and opportunity. You can continually be a lifelong learner and develop those skills. You can build out a network and build connections where you can either find existing work opportunities or create new ones yourself. And you can continually do that because that's going to be the requirements. We're going to need to continue. Each one of us will need to continue to be adaptive 
uh, going forward. Right, right. So, so do you see that there is some disconnect with the education system and the job market because the education system is preparing the the labor market for 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 the future, right? But somehow, yeah. if you see some of the top enterprises right now, some of the biggest companies are are spending big dollars in reskilling and upskilling. So do you see that the education uh, institutes or uh, industry is going wrong in skilling them correctly uh, or skilling them for the future? Besides that, what are the wrongs of the education industry which you think should be corrected? So there's a lot in there. <laughs> let, me, let me take each one of those. So uh, first, when you were talking about um, what organizations are doing, what they're trying to encourage with workers. So um, I, I know we use the words reskilling and upskilling a lot. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of those words, um, at least in America, because they kind of sound like industrial processes. So I don't, I don't even use you know, the industrial era framing all that much. Um, I think we're trying to leave behind industrial processes. That's what's got. That's part of what got us into this this mess in the first place, is that we treat jobs and education like it's industrial production, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, right, and so so uh, so first, uh, reskilling and upskilling. There's a, an underlying mentality is that oh, I'm going to do that to you. Like it sounds painful to me. I'm going to reskill you or upskill you, and 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 then you know like the. Harry Potter sorting hat, you know, from the Harry Potter uh, books and movies. I'm going to tell you, oh, and this is the new job you're going to have. Um, now, some people might like that, but I feel most people kind of want to do the things that they feel they're most motivated to do. So instead, I just say retraining. It just seems to work the most and, um, and doing new work. Uh, that seems to fit fine, uh, and, or just learning if you, if you like that. Um, now, in, in terms of the education in the COVID era. So in the same way with work, we found we needed to pivot overnight. We needed to suddenly be working in distributed teams. We need to suddenly be using technologies that would allow us to be able to continue to do our work uh, without being in person with each other. Um, all the same things are true of education. What's different in education is that it still was very, had in many, many uh, schools, whether that's pre-K, K-12, or um, college or beyond. It's very focused on an in-person, one-to-many model, um, which is in, you know, industrial era production. <laughs> um, one teacher, uh, you know, what our, my friend Esther Wojcicki calls a sage on the stage, um, and, and a whole bunch of learners that just sat there and listened, right? And that model might have worked in previous years. I, I wasn't a big fan of it myself. I never was a, I wasn't a great student, certainly in high school. And so, um, uh, we need to change that model. We've been needing to change that model for quite some time. Uh, we know the, what, what successfully helps a human being to be able to learn what they need to learn to get to adulthood. But we just have a commitment resource to do it. We know that learning that is driven by the individual learner's uh, interests and passions. We know that learning that is driven by learning collaboratively with others we know that learning that is driven where a teacher goes from the sage on the stage to a guide on the side, to the you know, sort of the Sherpa or shepherd of learning. We know all those things work. We know you get tremendous results at the other end of it. 
we just don't have the systems or the commitment to be able to do that. Um, it's very hard to scale. And so, well, it's been hard to scale. Technology applied appropriately can help with that scale. So uh, in the COVID era, I have tremendous compassion for educators, administrators, students. Um, we're going through a tremendously difficult time here in the United States trying to figure out how we can have models that are, uh, uh, allows everybody to be safe and remain inclusive because back to the same premise, you know, we were talking about earlier is in the same way with work that those who are already disadvantaged become even more disadvantaged. It's exactly the same with learning. Um, if you don't have access to childcare, if you don't have access to technology, if you don't have uh, a broad, good broadband connection, all those things are things that the least advantaged should have challenges with already, and they're going to be the challenges of today's learner. Um, and so as, as we turn the lights back on and we start sending kids back to school or we start doing remote classrooms again, uh, we have to continually commit to giving the resources to those who are, who are least advantaged. Now, in terms of what I would want the education system to change to, I, you know, I've written extensively on this. I wrote a piece called Unbundling. Well, you mentioned one conference we did, Degree, 10 years ago, 2000, uh, 2000 I was it 12? Yeah, 2010, 10 years ago. And my premise is that uh, we, we essentially, in the same way we're unbundling work, we're breaking work apart and it's sort of um, recalibrating itself in new ways, we have to break apart learning. And so uh, we, and, and we have to come up with new ways to be able to help any individual to develop a, a sense of the kinds of direction they want to go, the kinds of things they want to learn, and have the support and access to be able to do that. Most of our education systems are not up to that task. So um, I, you know, if you want a great vision of this, um, that woman, Esther Wojcicki, I mentioned, she has a book called Moonshots in Education. And she talks exactly about you know, the ways that we can revamp our education system to be able to support more of this kind of loser, you know, the, 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 the ways that a, a learner is driven to um, do their, uh, guide their own learning. This COVID, this natural disaster could possibly unbundle everything, you know, and all possible uh, industry and this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so subs, uh, at one side, you know, obviously it's the, it's disastrous that there are people are dying and the economy is impacted terribly. There are there are millions of people who are jobless. There are people who are without food. But on on the positive side, the environment is cleaned up. Uh, uh, people have understood that you know with remote work you could be more productive. Uh, there are there are families who are having more meaningful relationships because there's more time that you're spending to together. Uh, and and obviously, I mean, technology, all of the technology which which was in a creeping mechanism has suddenly been accelerated, and and the entire world has understood the importance of these technologies. Now, it's only once these technologies is engaged in a way which which, it, which benefits mankind and humanity, I think that would be the real evolution of us. So, so, so some of the biggest companies like Google, they announced that they plan to keep almost the 200,000 employees working from home until July 21. 
now fb twitter and some uh, uh, the, the really big companies are exploring the work from home uh, opportunity how do you view this impacting work as we know it because we are so used to stepping out and you know going to offices how do uh, what is the future of work so my my my, my father was a um uh, minister basically in the Becomes a world's career guide, but um, he was he was he was fond of quoting the King James Bible, and he said he was one of his favorite phrases was "The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away." So, so what? So, so people ask me all the time in this great reset, what remains and what goes away? <laughs> so, um, because because it's, it's just sort of the, that's, these are the phases of our lives: is we we gain new stuff and we lose old stuff. And we we can really regret and, and 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 bemoan the loss of the old stuff, and as we should, and we can be a little fearful and a little uh, 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 or nervous about the new stuff. Uh, but this is just our lives, and and again, with the pace and the spread of change, um, this is the new normal. And uh, you know, we, we because we were talking about all these changes that were going to happen to us and then along comes a virus and we did them overnight. There's so many of these changes we did. We know we can change. It doesn't mean that we love it. It doesn't mean we're good at it. It doesn't mean that we all did it the right way. Uh, but we know that we can adapt. We know that we can make these changes. So what stays and what remains? So, so what stays and what, what do we lose? So what we lose is human contact and that's devastating. Like we, we, we do thrive on interaction with each other. We do thrive on face, literally face-to-face -face communication, which just happens to be what the virus also thrives on, um, is in, 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 indoor face-to-face -face communication. It thrives on that. And so, uh, so we know that as humans, we need that. And we are now doing without it for a period of time. So that's there's a whole bunch of things that we lose. We lose, a, we lose a consistent workplace. We lose a consistent way for us to all come together. We lose the spark of creativity that comes from these random interactions with each other. We know that these are all tremendous benefits. And we haven't figured out how to make up for that loss. So, and, and, and we know that there, you, know, you mentioned families are getting together more often, that sort of thing. That's marvelous. But then friend groups broader friend groups, the random connection of going out to a restaurant you've never been to. I mean, we, we've lost those things at least for a period of time. And so, so we, we need to be, uh, I think, uh, gentle and understanding with each other that, that, that we, many people are, we're having a diff, very difficult time in this transition for the, those things that we've lost. Now, what have we gained? We've gained the ability to see at least digitally uh, humans uh, all from all around the world far more regularly than we did before. We've gained the ability to do work from remote, which for some people has been very difficult, and for many people has actually been at least some part of that they want to keep. You know, all the surveys show that depending upon the kind of work, you know, up to, to four-fifths of people want at least to be working from home some part of, or, or not from an office some part of the day, so, some part of the week. So I think what we've gained is more flexibility. We've realized you can trust people more. Um, managers that never, ever would have allowed their workers to work from remote uh, using what I call management by surveillance. Now they realize, oh, I can trust you. Like, I have to trust you. I don't have a choice. Um, you know, we, I, I think we've, we've gained certainly an understanding of each other's lives. I mean, the fact that we're looking into literally peering into each other's homes 
Uh, I did a talk for UNICEF for 130 college professors a couple of weeks ago. And, and I literally was looking into the 130 homes of people from Southeast Asia to Bangladesh. And, and so that's something we've gained. We've gained a deep understanding of each other as humans, a much better recognition that we are whole people. We are full people in our lives. And so those are the things that we, I hope, can keep. We can keep a lot of that flexibility around work, especially where it works for people. If it doesn't work for people, then we need to come up with other solutions. I think we, I hope we keep a recognition of each other's humanity and the fact that we're now not just asking how's work, but we're saying, how's the family? You know, my cat is sitting right here. He keeps coming and interrupting me as I talk, um, as he should. So we've recognized that we're whole people. And so I think I, those are some of the things that I hope that we, that we, we keep. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, obviously, I think, you know, we've, there's quite a lot of positives that we, we've taken out of it. And I think we should take those good things and make sure that we don't go back where we used to, uh, you know, create a, a terrible uh, environment with a fossil fuel vehicles. And, uh, you know, there's so many things that we can correct, you know, if you can just take those things and it, it, we can make, make a better place. So to my listeners, so what would be your advice? I mean, what, according to you, is going to be the most in-demand jobs? So it's pretty clear that the work that will continue to be created and that uh, we will, for some period of time, not have enough people to do, will be the, jo- the work, not just jobs, but work in general, where technology, especially newer technologies, are being applied to existing industries. That's, that's pretty clear. You know, we, we know that there will never, for a period of time, there will never be enough programmers. We know that there will never be enough database administrators. We know that, there, we know that there's sort of mismatches in the market because those are the places where it changes the fastest. And as we've already agreed, our education system is just not up to the task of helping people to be able to do that. But let's say for the average person, what, what would be useful to think about? First, a baseline knowledge of technology, that is the using of technology. I mean, you know, if you've never done a Zoom call before and suddenly you had to work from home, now you know how to do a Zoom call, right? So, so but there's a whole bunch of other tools, sort of the baseline tools, tools around uh, collaboration, tools around uh, the project uh, uh, management, uh, t- tools for communication, that baseline knowledge of those tools is critical. And if you didn't already know how to use them before, and you're still trying to figure it out, you need to continually commit to doing that on an ongoing basis. If you're a teacher, don't forget <laughs> that this can happen again. You, you need to learn, you need to continually be learning yourself. So that's the first one, baseline technical knowledge. Second is look for the places where there are problems to solve that people are not really solving them all that easily. And so uh, helping companies to be able to shift to using more digital technology, helping companies to think of new business opportunities, doing the work of helping companies to be able to solve problems for customers that they're unable to solve. Those are all uh, continuing opportunities. That is, companies will always have new customers that they need to meet the needs of. Companies will always have the opportunity to be able to leverage new technologies, but not necessarily the skill set to do it. So those are the kinds of things to be looking for, and especially creativity. Uh, Work that requires 
creative problem solving by humans, that's one of the things that will always keep you ahead of the robots and software. Right, right, right. Gary, thank you. Thank you for taking time and being part of Change and Impossible podcast and sharing your insight. Really appreciate this. And, and, and you rightfully pointed out, I think COVID-19 is going to unbundle everything. You know, there are so many wrongs with uh, the world today, you know, or education industry or healthcare or governance. That's another story altogether. They, uh, you know, so, so, so there, and I, I think we, we living in a great time and, uh, it's wrong of me that uh, to say that we're living in a great time. But the reason I'm saying is that possibly this COVID-19 is one of those minor roadblocks which came for us to, as species, to understand that the wrongs that we're doing, and it gave us an opportunity to correct the wrongs. You know, so I yeah. personally am super excited. I'm, I've been invested in technology. I understand the importance of technology, but I also understand that the the link of human with the technology is the most important thing you know and and if we don't have that then we we go going towards a dystopian future so 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 uh, uh, in that note gary really appreciate thank you for being part of change i am possible podcast and to my listeners if you like what you see in here please press the subscribe button until next time i'll see you guys bye bye thank you thank you gary really appreciate this all right thanks eddie thank you